BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A group of House and Senate Democrats announced a bill yesterday that would allow them to pack the Supreme Court with liberal justices and take over the conservative majority that's currently there. Less than four months in power, folks, and already Democrats are trying to fundamentally transform American government. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. We have a stilted, illegitimate 6-3 conservative majority on the court that has caused this crisis of confidence in our country. There's nothing new about changing the size of the Supreme Court. The Constitution leaves the number of justices up to Congress. And Congress has changed that number seven times in the history of the country. Some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it. We're unpacking it. I wish we didn't have a far-right Supreme Court majority that is hostile to democracy itself, we must act before it is too late by restoring balance to the Supreme Court. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. You see all the propaganda? I mean, there's a part of you that should be terrified because clearly these are people in positions of power in the United States Congress who have absolutely no principles whatsoever, will lie right to your face, will gaslight you with a smile and look at you like you're crazy. What do you mean you think court packing is a radical idea. Well, what do you mean that, oh yeah, that's right, because we've all known that this would be the end of the Supreme Court as we know it and would just create what would effectively be an arms race to put judges that would appeal to one side or the other of the political aisle up on the court as fast as possible. Does anyone really think that it would stop at 13 if this bill actually went through? Of course not. It would get to 17, then it would get to 21, it get to 25, or you know, whatever. They had one, they had five, who knows what they would add. The point is, it is absurd. And yet, you can see on display here that the Democrats, one, are at least willing to make these arguments publicly, which is just shameful intellectually. I mean, they can't really believe this. And two, they don't want you to remember what they used to say. When they're in power, there is one set of rules. When they aren't in the majority, a very different set of rules. Here's the kind of stuff that they used to say about court packing specifically. I would not get into court packing. We, we had three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They had three justices. We began to lose any credibility for the court has at all. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea. It raises problems that are more damaging than the problems that exist. And, and I, so I think that is not 
uh, the ultimate solution. Where does it stop? I mean, so we go yeah, from yes. 9 to 15, right. and then the next right. no, it's takes terrible. over in 15 it's, to 27. And I think that we better be very, very careful in saying that uh, we need to expand the Supreme Court. I think we better be very, very careful. I don't believe that uh, expanding the size of the Supreme Court is the answer. I don't know that expanding the size of the Supreme Court is the best way to address legitimate concerns we have. I do not think expanding the Supreme Court makes sense. No. 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 Where does that stop? Is it a race to the bottom? I mean, do, do we need to see anybody else? I'm just wondering. Are there any other Democrats that we have to go find a clip of saying that court packing is a bad idea, would hurt the country, would undermine our institutions? You'll notice that they talk so much about President Trump undermining our sacred institutions and our democracy for four years, and yet there was no talk of changing the number of Supreme Court justices. There was no Republican move to get rid of the filibuster. There was no Republican effort to pass a massive amnesty to add millions and millions of illegal immigrants onto the voting rolls. I mean, you look at, oh, and never mind, HR1, statehood for DC and Puerto Rico, the list goes on and on. No Democrats get into power and their first impulse is to change the game to make sure that they stay in power forever. Republicans, on the other hand, want to just make sure that there's not going to be anything too mean written about them in the pages of the New York Times, and that the donor class still feels comfortable enough writing checks to GOP campaigns. Not really willing to wield power the way they should, are they? Meanwhile, Democrats will make just absurd and and even somewhat terrifying arguments in, in their dishonesty. I mean, they'll just say things that are so stupid and so untrue that it's offensive that they will say them out loud. I mean, here's Representative Mondaire Jones saying that, you know, the Supreme Court is actually the threat to democracy because there are too many Republican appointees on it. Our democracy faces its greatest test since Jim Crow. From the insurrection at the Capitol to the racist voter suppression being attempted all throughout the United States of America, the far right is at war with our democracy. And what I want people to understand is that this crisis did not arrive overnight. Rather, the Supreme Court has been an accomplice. In fact, the Supreme Court, specifically the Roberts Court, has been working to dismantle our democracy for years. I don't know if this this individual honestly knows anything about the Supreme Court. It would be an interesting question. I mean, the Roberts Court that upheld Obamacare twice The Roberts court that decided that there would be a massive expansion of LGBTQ rights, including gay marriage initially, but then going beyond that in Obergfell, the most recent decision on transgender rights. The the Roberts court has destroyed democracy. How exactly? They, They never give you specifics, do they? They say things that are meant to scare you. They say things that are meant to make you feel like, oh my gosh, maybe they're right. Something bad's going on. Well, they're the ones trying to do the bad thing. Well, they're the ones that are seeking to undermine something. We showed you all those Democrats. This is about a very straightforward proposition. Should people in power temporarily, in this case, the Democrats, change the fundamental rules of an institution like the Supreme Court because they're not getting their way? There are some Democrats now who say, yeah, let's do that. Let's go for it. Let's go all the way. And while they tell you it probably won't happen, the fact that they're even thinking about it tells you a lot about their mentality. Of course, Jen, Jen Psaki is not bothered by this. I mean, she's just got to be a flack for the White House. It's really, it is the job that she has. So here she is when asked about the whole court packing issue. The president believes that 
uh, it's important to take a look at a range of points of view, whether they are progressive or conservative, but he certainly understands that members of Congress have a range of views and they're going to propose legislation. Uh, he may or may not support it. Understand that what they're doing here, at a minimum, even if they don't actually get through a court packing scheme, is to try and encourage, at some level, the radical left, which is ascendant with the Democrat Party, and as you know, they may not be the majority, they may not even be calling all the shots, but they've certainly succeeded in pushing this Democrat Party further left than any other time in my lifetime. Uh, perhaps you'd have to go back to, uh, I don't know, the late 1960s or so to get a Democrat Party that was as left-wing in many ways. Deciding that things like, oh, you know, criminal justice, it's society's fault. That's not the individual's fault. Or, you know, let's have an endlessly large welfare state. Let's expand it beyond anyone's, anyone's uh, previous imagination. I mean, all kinds of things. You, see, you say to yourself, what exactly are the Democrats unwilling to do when it comes to government if they can get away with it? And that's really what the barrier is. That's where the line is drawn. It's not that they have some principles, some fundamental beliefs about the need to respect our government and respect our institutions, and so they won't cross those lines, it's will this blow back on us? Will this cause a problem for us? Or will we not even be able to get done what we want because some Democrats will get weak in the knees when we try to fundamentally transform the United States government? That's the real Biden administration we're facing right now, friends, and it's important that you remember that. All right, Russia warned the U.S. to stay away from Ukraine and Biden actually just did it. He listened to them. Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano joins me next to talk about Biden's about face and what Putin's military goals are in an already war-torn country. Stay tuned. You ever thought about real estate investing before? Look, I want you to take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com and there you can learn about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward, and their system flat out works. I know because I'm using it. It allows everyday, hardworking Americans to finally own investment-grade real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. Look, I can't really explain to you in this quick 60-second commercial about every step and how good they've been at this process so far and what I've learned from doing this with them. So if you go to doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate, where I explain my own experience and the whole philosophy behind Done For Your Real Estate, and you'll hear it from me in detail. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to that podcast interview at the top of, this, of the page, and you'll learn how to start real estate yourself as an investment opportunity. That's right. Go check it out, doneforyoubuck.com. Tensions ratcheting up in Russia, or at least in the neighborhood of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Ukraine now a scene of continued back and forth. We know there's ongoing military conflict there. And the U.S. is starting to look at what's going on, and people are wondering how the Biden administration is going to handle this. Joining me now to discuss all of it is Vice President of the Heritage Institute and Army veteran Jim Carafano. Jim, great to see you as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's just start with what's going on. I mean, we, we had the Russians release a pretty bellicose statement about the U.S. getting too close to Crimea, which they took, which is formerly part of Ukraine, and there's a, there's a whole mess going on here, but there's some pretty intense bluster. Just bring people up to speed with what's happening. Sure. You know, it actually seems like we just got in the, in the way back machine with Mr. Peabody and went back to the opening of the Obama years. 
you know, so what's happened is, is there, there's been a very significant buildup of Russian troops in the area around Ukraine, really almost virtually unprecedented, and and a lot of air activity, the Russians challenging NATO airspace. Now, people say, uh, tell you what they think Putin is going to do. I, look, I don't think Putin knows what Putin is going to do. This is very Putin-like, right, which is to create a situation. He's not reckless, but he's not risk-averse. He's willing to see what happens. So he's perfectly happy to throw all those troops out there and peer threatening and then see how people respond to that and see what advantage or what opportunity it creates for them. What the is flip side of that is Go ahead, what Jim. we have yeah, from Biden is almost an exact replay of Obama's approach toward Russia, which is really what's called this kind of creeping deterrence, which is, look, I, I really want to get along with the Russians, so I want to do just enough to tell them to back off. Well, the, the problem with that strategy is it really cedes the initiative to the Russians. And you never want to give the Russians the initiative in a situation because they can just say, well, what if I escalate a little more? You know, so well, I, I to, think to your point, we actually have the commander in chief here, Biden, talking about what should, what uh, his thoughts are about Russia. Let's play that. Have you react to it? I also made clear to President Putin that the United, Putin, that the United States is unwavering in our support of our allies and partners in Europe. In that vein, I expressed concern about Russia's military buildup on Ukraine's border and and in occupied Crimea. I affirmed U.S. support for the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine. And I strongly urged him to refrain from any military action. I mean, it sounds like talking points written for a diplomat in Brussels in between lattes, to be honest. But what do you think? Look, words mean nothing to Putin. He's not accountable to anybody. He doesn't really care what you say. He cares what you do. So what Biden actually just said was, was meaningless. It didn't matter what he said. It matters what we do. So I think they, the, he said that, and in the next breath he says, oh, but we'd like to figure out a way to get along with the Russians, right? So he's, he's trying to say, I, I'm tough, but, but, you know, but please be nice to me. It didn't work for Obama. It's not going to work for Biden. I think it's much more significant that the U.S. signaled it was going to send warships into the Black Sea, and then... Then they didn't, and then the Russians immediately said warships are banned from the Black Sea. I, I don't think. Wait, can it, you just go I back to that for a second? Why? So we were going to deploy ships in the Black Sea, right in the neighborhood of Crimea. And for everyone, just a quick review: it was under the Obama administration that Crimea had this referendum, and all of a sudden became a part of Russia, and this right. led to all these other problems. But why would we back off of that? I mean, are the Russians allowed to act like it's a private lake? Well, well, what's interesting is, you know, maybe we talk to the Russians and they say, oh, we won't escalate. Say, so, oh, okay, well, we won't send the ships into the Black Sea. But what's interesting is that the Russians immediately came out and said, ships can't go into the Black Sea. And then Biden said, well, let's have a, 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 a summit and talk about this stuff. And the Russians go, oh, well, maybe let's not have a summit, right? Because what you're doing is you're letting the Russians set the tone of the relationship rather than you setting the tone of the relationship. And I, I always think it's bad to play be a weekend with the Russians. What is the, what is the uh, Putin, within the realm of, of a realistic aim, Jim, what is he trying to get in Ukraine, specifically? What, what is he trying to bring about? Right, well, what Putin would like is, he would, he would like to have hard control over the countries on his border. And key to that is really to have a, a Europe that's disunified and to have America out. That's, that's the dream, right? How do you achieve that? Putin doesn't know how to achieve that. He's a tactician. He's not a strategist. 
So what he does is he creates conditions and then he sees if there's opportunities to exploit. And if there are, he does. If there aren't, he goes back to the DACA, you know, and he, and he dances with a bear or rides naked horseback or something. We also have Adam Schiff here on the, uh, on the uh, Obama, I'm sorry, the Biden, although it does feel like the third term of the Obama administration in many ways, but the, uh, the Biden administration, Adam Schiff talking about how this is a president who's really going to stand up to the Russians. Play that one. What is your reaction to the sanctions as they were issued today? Uh, very powerful. Uh, it will definitely put a crimp in the Russian economy. Thank God we have a president again who's willing to stand up to Vladimir Putin. <laughs> just, I, I just think Adam Schiff is delusional and, and a liar in general. But I mean, on the specifics of the point here, Jim, I'll pass this to you. So, so Putin's getting more aggressive. And what Adam Schiff takes from that is it's because Biden will stand up to him that he seemed, it seems like uh, Putin disagrees. Well, look, that was just a fatuous comment. I mean, the sanctions that we laid down today, for Trump, that was Tuesday. Of course you're going to do sanctions, but sanctions don't affect the Russian behavior. You have to punish them with sanctions, but that's not enough. What deters them is their fear that you're going to stand up to them. And, and Putin doesn't care what you say. He doesn't care what Adam Schiff says or what Biden says. He cares what America does. So if he sees some sanctions, he's like, whatever, right? But when the U.S. Re- actually makes statements on the ground, that gets Putin's attention. And the president doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, he does the opposite. He goes, don't make me do more, Mr. Putin, because I really want to get along with you. But this is the same strategy with the Chinese. It's a complete replay of the Obama strategy. We'll compete where we must, but we need to cooperate where we can. Well, with Russia and China, there's nothing that we can cooperate on that's meaningful. So that's just saying you're going to do that is weakness because there is no cooperation. And if you're going to compete, dude, you've got to compete on the ground. And slapping sanctions, they're important. You should do that. You should punish people. But that's not what deters Putin on the strategic level. Kill Nord Stream 2. This is the pipeline that the Russians want to do with the Germans, which would undermine European um, energy security. Kill that. Put that in the grave. That gets Putin's attention. Start arguing Ukraine should be in NATO. That'll get Putin's attention. You know, that's the, send ships in the Black Sea. Say, hey, do something about that. Those are the kind of things that'll get Putin nervous. Not just, not that I'm anything wrong with the sanctions. We should do those. But for Adam Schiff dropping to the bucket, say, I mean, yeah. That's say, tough. Say, the sanctions every day. Yeah. yeah. Putin's worth what? We, we estimate $20, 25000000000 billion. Him and the oligarchs, they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> They're not going to starve because of the sanctions. So as much as we like to pretend that that's going to... There are plenty of Russians that can starve for them. They don't need to. Yeah. They, and and I, look, I have a, a very astute friend of mine once told me that you got to remember, with true of sanctions for a lot of things, nothing brings Russians together like suffering. That's what she told me. And she... She's from there. So it's something you got to remember, too. They start to look at the rest of the world and say, OK, so now you're going to punish us to show Putin. I mean, you know, the whole thing, it's, it's a, little, a little bit of a, of a miss. But anyway, James, great to see you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, brother. See you. Facebook and Twitter facing new accusations of censorship. Deja vu, huh? We'll break this down and the latest victims of it in tonight's Buck Brief. I've warned you about home title theft. It's where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title and become the owner of the home, believe it or not. I know it's crazy, but you know, I told you to get home title lock because it's coming, right? This is gonna be a problem. Well, if you're on Facebook, the big breach of all the data that we've been worried about, it's already happened. 
Facebook has had 500 million accounts exposed to cyber thieves, and according to retired FBI cybercrime experts, everything those thieves need to take over through home title theft as the new owner of your home, it's already leaked. Name, address, personal information, it's out there. All the thief has to do is forge your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. He'll leave you in debt or maybe even have you evicted. Do what I did and protect your home's title with Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Then use code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Sign up for this and use promo code RADIO to get 30 free days of protection. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Facebook is censoring a New York Post report about a BLM co-founder. The platform will not allow users to share the article that details more than $3 million of property purchased by this co-founder. Facebook saying in a statement the content was removed for violating their privacy and personal information policy. Um, I think there might be something else going on here. It's time for the Buck Brief. The best thing is to be a Marxist millionaire if you're going to be a Marxist, right? I mean, that way you get to advocate for everyone else living under a state of socialism and the deprivation that comes with that and the equal sharing of misery. But you, as the advocate for Marxist philosophy, you get to live in mansions, right? That's the best. That's what the left, the leaders of it really want. And they don't see this as hypocritical because, you know, they're like the high priests of this Marxist faith. So, of course, they've got to live uh, in fancy situations. Well, the leader uh, or the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, it's recently come to light, has bought a few million dollars of property. So she's a, a community organizer who's effectively working for a nonprofit. And she's, here she is, and she's bought, you know, those are all, you see those photos, those are all different houses. Uh, one was over a million dollars, half a million, you know, there's a lot of, a big property owner, got a lot of properties. And you say, well, where does this money come from? It seems to come from donations to the BLM movement. Well, this is the kind of story uh, that would generally just be of public interest because you have someone here who is the co-founder of a national movement that now seeks to change policing as we know it, uh, that is responsible for billions of dollars of destruction through riots and arson and looting. But what happened when people tried to share this New York Post article? Well, we can show you here on Facebook. They said, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that anymore. Here's a screenshot of it. You can't share this link. Not allowed. Wow, they took that action. They, they decided to immediately show people that you can't share this. And what was the reasoning they gave? Oh, that it's because it goes against their community guidelines for private information. Right. Let me tell you something. As somebody who spent a lot of time on Facebook and Twitter, um, Conservatives get death threats all the time on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, conservatives in the media. 
And when we ask for them to take this stuff down or when we ask them to not put our home phone number and our actual address and all the stuff out there, uh, it's very slow action, sometimes no action. I've had friends who said that they just won't take it down because the people making these decisions behind the scenes at Facebook and Twitter are leftists. That's right. They're MSNBC watching leftists. So do you think that they really care when people that they don't like are subjected to not just harassment, but targeting and even death threats using their platforms? Not really. Not at all. It's fine. Might as well tell people that right now. Might as well. Let's just get the truth out there. These social media platforms could care less when conservatives are the ones in the crosshairs. But in this case, I mean, this is a prominent person who's bought multiple homes. This is often, this is information that's, that's public record. This is information that's often talked about. And yet they pull this down. They didn't post her phone number. They didn't actually post her specific address, just photos of the homes. Oh, she's in danger, so we're pulling it down. You know what Patrice Calors, who's the founder, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, was in danger of from this article? Being exposed as a phony. She actually went on, the, on a program uh, with my friend Mark Lamont Hill, who is a man of the left. He's a leftist. And he asked her to explain this. And do you know what her answer was? Why has she spent, this Black Lives Matter founder, why has she spent a few million dollars on properties? It's not for her. It's for her family. Oh, okay. I mean, this is a fascinating one. So, th- so the next time some person who works for a, a company that, let's say, or works for a nonprofit, even better, that's raised millions of dollars and wants to pay themselves a huge salary, they can just say, it's not for me. The salary's not for me. The salary's for my family. Oh, so you're a, you're a, a generous fraud. I see. Okay, that's, that's really nice. Um, obviously, nobody really believes this. By the way, you actually could get suspended just for tweeting about the articles written in the news, newspapers about this. So here you go. You have Black Lives Matter founder. This is from Jason Whitlock. He's a sports journalist. Buys $1.4 million home in Topanga, which has a black population of 1.4%. She's with her people. Now, Jason Whitlock is African-American himself, and he is pointing out that here's somebody who's all about helping the black community, she says, especially those who live in high crime communities uh, and wants them to not have police protection by the, because of the defund the police movement. But do, do you think that it's, it's a high crime neighborhood in Topanga, which is right near Malibu? You think that $1.4 million house, she's going to have to worry about you know, police patrolling the streets in serious enough numbers to keep her safe? No. So she, she decides not to live anywhere near a, a place that is diverse at all, but she's all about the movement. And then there's what happened to Project Veritas. Another social media suppression story that's worth our time here. Twitter has permanently banned Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe for violating Twitter rules on platform manipulation and spam. Now with this, it's, it seems like they're just making this up. I mean, spam? Manipulation? Project Veritas does undercover videos. This is the real problem. Project Veritas recently, I mean, when I say problem, this is the reason they're being kicked off the platform. They had a sting operation, essentially, where somebody went on, I believe it was a date, and got a CNN technical director to start talking about CNN. This is embarrassing, not just to CNN, but to all the libs out there, because they like to pretend still that CNN is an objective news source. They they like to go through the motions and act like CNN is where journalism happens. 
And that's great because it gives CNN more power, even though it's a propaganda organ for the left. Even though anybody who spends even a couple of minutes watching CNN would realize this is basically DNC TV. But when they have a video like this that came out from Project Veritas, it exposes what's really going on. And so then Twitter decides in response to just strike at James O'Keefe by claiming that he has violated rules with manipulation and spam. No evidence of this, no support for this. But remember, these are companies that they are private companies. I mean, publicly traded, but they're private, private entities. Uh, they're not government entities. And they can just point to their terms of service and they are the arbiters of it. With the current regulations that exist, they can just say, yeah, well, we decided you violated our terms of service. And that's it. You're done. You're living in the digital tyranny, friends. I hope you all see that. They can kick anyone off they want to. They can silence anyone they want to. And you have some very weak pseudo-Republican types that say, oh, well, this is what the free market. Mm, it's not that simple. They have Section 230 protection. There should be regulation of these companies like public utilities now because they are providing access to the public square, which is online, which is digital. Josh Hawley, on the censoring of the Facebook post, by the way, he said, I, oh, yeah, he said, Facebook censoring the New York Post. Where have I seen this before? Holly is pointing out something we should not lose sight of here, which is that right before the 2020 election, you will recall that Facebook also censored a news story from the New York Post about none other than Hunter Biden. And the claim here was that Hunter Biden's personal information was hacked because in a completely legal fashion, the New York Post had gotten access to the contents of his hard drive. And now we know that, well, we knew then it was true, unless you're an idiot. And now it's been proven even more so that it is true. And Twitter's Jack Dorsey's come out to say, yeah, we kind of made a mistake on that one. That was right before an election. They were helping out their team. Make no mistake about it. Facebook and Twitter, they are on Team Democrat. So is Google, which owns YouTube, by the way. So are all of the major social media companies. So is Amazon, which is the biggest online retailer in the world. These companies are Democrat super PACs that also run businesses. Once you see them that way, you understand what's really happening. I meant to get to this, but just why James O'Keefe, he's not going to take this one lying down. He says, I'm suing Twitter for defamation because they said, I, James O'Keefe, operated fake accounts. This is false. This is defamatory and they will pay. Section 230 may have protected them before, but will not protect them from me. The complaint will be filed Monday. This is the kind of action. I mean, unless there are legal and financial consequences for these social media companies, they'll continue to get away with this nonsense. And there will be this suppression of speech that is ongoing. And the whole thing is just outrageous, isn't it? When you think about how they set these companies up as the public square, free speech uh, entities, and then as soon as they got rich and powerful enough, leftist entities suppressing speech all the time. Got to fight back against this. All right, up next, Biden's newly proposed infrastructure plan is pretty much just a disguise for the Green New Deal in a lot of ways. We'll talk to Hill columnist Kristen Tate next. Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. Do you We're support the Green New Deal? Pardon me? you support No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, well that's a big not... statement. That was back in the October presidential debate. You had Joe Biden there saying he does not support the Green New Deal, but in the same sentence bragging that it would 
pay for itself. Hmm, how, how could that happen? Perhaps the infrastructure bill we're now all talking about? Here to discuss the economic impact of this so-called infrastructure bill and also what's really going on here is columnist at The Hill, Kristen Tay. Kristen, good to see you. Great to be with you, Buck. So they keep trying to change the definition of infrastructure to include whatever the Democrat Party wants, right? Uh, Childcare is infrastructure. Charging stations for cars that people don't even have, electric cars people don't even have yet, that's infrastructure. All the things they want, broadband is infrastructure. What do we know about what we're actually seeing in the so-called infrastructure bill and the kind of impacts it would have on the economy? Well, look, this is just another example of the Democrats using important sounding names to expand the size and scope of government in ways that have nothing to do with the name of the bill. They did the same thing with the so-called COVID relief bill, which was also largely a political slush fund. It's the same with this infrastructure bill. Only a slim percentage of the spending would go to actual traditional infrastructure like highways and bridges. And the rest of it, it's just going to initiatives like college debt relief, uh, you know, bailing out people's debt uh, when they went and got these impractical college degrees from liberal arts schools, uh, free childcare and a slew of other big government programs. But here's what's really infuriating, Buck. We have a, a huge amount of debt in this country. It's going to cripple us. And this bill will be paid for by more debt uh, and by money printing, which will lead to inflation, which makes us all poorer. So it's a lie when you know people say, oh, these bills are funded by tax dollars. That's simply not true. We're funding this with printed money and with more debt. It's debt that all of us will have to pay back eventually. And the value of the dollar will continue going down. What taxes, other than uh, corporate tax, do we know they're actually willing to go forward uh, forward with here? You're right. They keep saying that the rich will pay for this, but then it seems to get all hazy on the details. So they're going to print, but they're also going to tax. I know you've written a book on taxes, Kristen. So yeah. where, where are they gonna try to take this? And, and also, why is it that Amazon and some of these big companies are all, oh yeah, raise our, raise our corporate taxes. I have, I have a feeling that that's because they don't think they're gonna pay it. That's exactly right. And frankly, big corporations like Amazon love tax hikes on corporations because uh, even if they were to pay any taxes, they can afford that. They're smaller competition they get wiped out by these kinds of tax hikes. Uh, but look, we know that Biden promised to not raise taxes on anyone making under $400,000 a year. That was a lie. We now know that these tax hikes on, on income will affect married couples who make uh, $200,000 each. And what's really scary about the tax hikes on income is that they're not indexed for inflation. So as inflation happens, uh, more people in the middle class will start making the amount of money that get hit by these tax hikes. We're we're also going to see uh, hikes on capital gains taxes, which hurts the middle class because, of course, 401ks and pension plans and other retirement plans uh, get hurt when people pull their money out of the market, uh, which capital gains tax uh, rates you know, encourage people to do. And then corporate tax hikes, we know that those are borne primarily by laborers. Study after study has shown this. Those kinds of tax hikes hurt employees most and they stifle job growth. So the, the tax hikes that Biden has put in place won't come anywhere close to actually funding these big government spending deals and they will hurt the middle class most. You cannot just pass uh, trillions of dollars of spending every single month without any consequences. Eventually the whole house of cards collapse you know, the American Action Forum released a report noting the Green New Deal in total 
would cost a staggering $93 trillion over 10 years. I mean, Kristen, people will sometimes talk about modern monetary theory, this, this left-wing concept is very popular among people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that we just print whatever money we need to, pay for what we need, and then just deal with inflation. They never really specify how. How far are we in your mind from getting to a place where everyone's gonna have to admit and also feel the consequences of the inflationary effect on our economy? Well, the day of reckoning is coming. I mean, two years ago, a two by four slab of lumber cost $2. Today, that same slab of lumber costs over $8. So inflation's already happening. We're seeing prices go up for groceries, gas, uh, but eventually normal people will start to wake up to this. The poor always get hurt by inflation most. These are folks who still have to fill their gas, uh, their cars with gas. They still have to get you know, necessities at the grocery store. Uh, they really do get hurt the most and people will get very angry when they realize what's happened, but by then it might be too late. Uh, so I'm very afraid of, of what's about to come and I encourage your viewers or anyone who can to really try to diversify their assets. Uh, you know, it's, it's always a smart idea to take some of your assets out of the US dollar and invest in other things like gold, silver, even some cryptocurrencies, of course, real estate. But unfortunately, the poor and the elderly on fixed incomes, they don't always have the luxury of doing that. Now, the infrastructure bill as it stands right now is supposed to be the largest tax increase since 1968. I mean, what, assuming it goes through as written, I know there's a lot that still can happen and there's gonna be negotiations going on, although the Democrats have shown a willingness to just ram things through. They ran through the $1.9 trillion yeah. spending bill earlier this year. Uh, what are your expectations for what the massive tax increases, I mean, the largest since 1968, at least as it stands now in the bill, where will we feel those, those effects? We're just talking about inflation, but what will it do to employment, to small business and, and the rest? Well, the corporate uh, tax increases will hurt employees, middle-class earners the hardest of all of these tax hikes because studies have shown that 70 to 80% of corporate tax hikes, hikes um, are, are uh, paid for in a sense by employees and they are, they're paid for in the sense that we see less job growth, less jobs, fewer jobs created, more people getting laid off. Uh, so, so this is how these corporate tax hikes are going to hurt the middle class. And of course, we know that when you raise taxes on corporation, you, you incentivize them to actually move their businesses out of the U.S. to more competitive tax environments. So that's another way we could see uh, big losses in the number of available jobs for middle class earners. And then, as I mentioned before, the income tax hikes that Biden wants to put in place are not indexed for inflation. So we could see many more Americans being hit by those tax hikes in a few years than are going to be hit this year. Uh, so it's really a regressive tax plan and all of this spending gets us nowhere. That's what's the most frustrating about this buck. You know, I think a lot of Americans don't mind paying a little more in taxes if we're getting fundamental and vital services. And very few people would argue that we don't need targeted approaches to fix our infrastructure. But this huge wasteful infrastructure bill, it's hardly targeted. And again, it really doesn't actually deal with infrastructure. That's just a name to make the bill sound important and necessary but it covers for all of these left-wing initiatives that just grow the size and scope of the state over our lives. So Americans need to, to do the research on their own and, and you can't take these politicians at their word when they tell you that these bills are so necessary for whatever it is, for COVID relief, for our infrastructure. It's just a big wasteful excuse to spend money and grow the government. Kristen Tate, contributor to The Hill. Kristen, always appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you.
Thanks for having me, Buck. VLM co-founder says she's spending millions for her family, and MSNBC compares former President Trump to bin Laden. At least one host over there does. Those stories and more coming up in Quick Hits. We're living in very uncertain times, and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in is anything but predictable. The government's passing massive spending bills, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency, and many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Give the Oxford Gold Group a call now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. BLM co-founder and self-described Marxist spent more than $3 million on property purchases for her family. That's what we've been told here. And Michigan Governor Whitmer dismisses her rule-breaking aides. More examples of rules for thee, but not for me. This is all in quick hits, and this is all right now. Let's get to it. So I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, actually. Uh, my, my friend, Mark Lamont Hill, who I do a uh, weekly podcast with once a week, he uh, had an interview with Patrice Coulors about... Being a, she's a Marxist millionaire. Isn't that fascinating how that works? You get to be a Marxist for everybody else, but you, you get to be worth millions of dollars. It's a lot of money. Probably some of you are saying, that's more money than I've got. It's more money than I've got. So, hmm, here's what she said about it. The way that I live my life is in direct support to Black people, including my Black family members. I have a child. I have a brother that has severe mental illness that I take care of. Um, I support my mother, um, and I support many other family members of mine. And so I see um, uh, my money as not my own. I see it as um, my family's money as well. I mean, that's laughable, right? We all, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone say as an excuse for uh, their behavior. Look, what she's doing is legal. No one's saying it's criminal. No one's saying that she's not allowed to do this, but... It does look a little weird for someone who says they're a Marxist and they're helping the black community, particularly in, in high crime areas, by raising lots of money for a cause and then buying millions of dollars of real estate for herself. Yeah, that people are allowed to say, hmm, about that. And they certainly should. Uh, someone else that should get a big hmm is Governor Halfwit, a.k.a. Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. And she recently had that. You know, the, the problem that keeps coming up with these Democrats is they want everyone to live by these very strict COVID rules. Don't travel. Wear three masks. Stay 10 feet away because six is not good enough or whatever, right? They're, they're always coming up with different nonsense to spew. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer's chief health aide left the state, went traveling, came out. Here's how she responds to that. How do you justify this to residents who may feel that there may be two sets of rules in play here? I'm not going to get distracted by partisan hit jobs on my, my team. What directors do on their personal time is their business, um, so long as they are safe, which is what we're asking everyone in the state to do. Just asking everyone to be safe. Yeah, 
Sure. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into a hit job. I, I love this, right? Oh, the money's not for me. It's for my family. Oh, I'm not gonna respond to your allegation because it's a personal hit job. It's almost like Democrats find ways to never answer questions or actually have to face accountability for anything. And then there's Joy Reid, who is one of the worst cable news television hosts out there, uh, just really across the board. There's some very bad ones. She's not the worst, but there are some very bad ones. Uh, here she is on comparing, comparing Donald Trump and Osama bin Laden. The idea that Afghanistan could go on forever. We can't stay anywhere forever, especially when we've got home security threats in terms of violent white nationalism that's threatening our capital. When we've got our own former president inciting people into violence and pushing them more into this violent white extremism, much the way bin Laden you know, did, sort of inspiring people to be this way. Yeah, just like Osama bin Laden, that's Donald Trump. What a, what a brilliant comparison to make on a national cable channel. It's, just, it's amazing that MSNBC is a national cable channel, but it is. The dumbest things you hear on cable TV so much. It's just the way it is. Um, and that's kind of what we got for today's Hold the Line, everybody. Thanks for being here. By the way, check out the Buck Sexton podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. I do a show every day, Monday through Friday. You can listen on the Apple Podcast app, uh, the iHeartRadio app, or even go to uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. They're all out there. The Buck Sexton Show podcast, please subscribe. That's it for Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.